Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pet Talk Podcast by Alicia Pet Care Center. Alicia Pet Care Center is a full-service animal hospital in Mission Viejo, California. This is going to be another one of those special episodes that actually doesn't include anyone from our staff, but in a roundabout way almost does. We are here today with Sean and Dr. Chavez of Just Food for Dogs. And if you are one of our clients, you have seen the large Just Food for Dogs pantry store that is located inside our lobby. We have again partnered with Just Food for Dogs in our desire to offer the best in nutrition and health and balance of both of those things for your pet. Obviously, there was a big conversation between the owner, Dr. Wheaton, and Sean Buckley, the owner of Just Food for Dogs, in regards to was this the right partnership to take place? Do we have the same core beliefs and goals? And the answer was a resounding yes. Some of the results that we have seen, some of the stories that we have heard from our clients, from their customers, has been remarkable and is part of the story building process that we always had heard about with Just Food for Dogs in some of the cases of hospitalized patients, of pets that were not doing well and needed very specific diets or prescribed diets even. Let's get right into this conversation between myself and the owner and the chief medical officer of Just Food for Dogs. All right, if you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell a little bit about your own start with Just Food for Dogs. Yeah, my name is Sean Buckley. I'm the founder of Just Food for Dogs, which uh, we started in 2010 and opened our first location in 2011. Uh, my name is Dr. Oscar Chavez. I'm the chief medical officer for Just Food for Dogs. I joined the company pretty early on, uh, was involved in some feeding trials, and then uh, left my then job as a professor in clinical nutrition to join uh, Just Food for Dogs full-time. So Just Food for Dogs got its start right here in California then? Yeah, the company was, like I say, founded in 2010 and began opening kitchens in 2011, still local to California, but now we have locations in Northern California, Southern California, including San Diego, LA, Orange County, and then we're under construction for our first kitchen that's out of the state of California, which is in downtown Seattle. And how many Just Food for Dog kitchens are out there now? Including our, what we call our master kitchen, uh, which is our headquarters. There are seven or eight, I guess, if you include the, the ones under construction. I know you have seven pantries inside animal hospitals currently. Have you seen a huge benefit to having those inside hospitals as opposed to your standalone stores? Oh, no, no question. I mean, we, we are a vet centric company. We always have been. It's the reason that Dr. Chavez was, you know, brought into the picture super early, almost from the beginning. And it's the reason that we have nine total vets on staff now under Dr. Chavez. We, we see the world the way vets see the world in as much as a company that makes food can. And so being, you know, co-located with them is a significant advantage, I think, for both parties. 
So let's go back just a tiny bit. Was there a trigger event that took place for you, Sean, or what was it that made you want to create this incredibly new and diverse idea within the pet food industry? The the real reason, I, I wish it was more exciting, but the real reason that we started the company is because we found out what is allowed to be in pet food uh, purely by accident. And I started looking into it and realized that what is allowed to be in pet food is just wrong, flat wrong. There's no other way to describe it. And at first it didn't make any sense. And then as you dig deeper and at the risk of sounding like, you know, a conspiracy theorist, you you realize that there's two big giant books that kind of dictate what we do in our world. If you're a pet food processor, which is technically what we are, a licensed pet food processor, we don't really see ourselves that way, but that's that's what we are. You realize that these two big books tell you what you're allowed to put in food and what you're allowed to call it. And some of the examples of that are positively frightening. And uh, I asked myself that same question that so many entrepreneurs for, you know, a hundred years have asked themselves, which is, is there a better way to do this? And uh, I started looking into that. And we think together we've discovered that, yes, there is a better way to do this. And we think the answer is what we do. Fresh, frozen food made from USDA certified ingredients for humans, but nutritionally balanced for dogs. So from the origin of the idea being just a spark within maybe even just you, what does that time frame going forward to building it all look like? Well, different things take different time frames. So we started the company in April or May of 2010, and we had our first location open in January of 2011. Feeding trials took about 14 months, and that was all overseen by Dr. Chavez. Uh, well, outside parties, but overseen by him. We have seen some remarkable results here already. I mean, really, from the time that I first started hearing that we may create this partnership with Just Food for Dogs, I did some poking around. I read the stories that are those near miraculous results with some pets. And when you boil it down, even some of those quote-unquote everyday stories of pets that aren't eating, some to an extreme level and hearing or seeing that completely get flipped on its head when they're introduced to Just Food for Dogs is astounding enough. And right now we have a rescue cat that's here that fits that bill perfectly. He started undergoing some major intestinal distress to that point where he just became completely uninterested in food. It was going into multiple days in a row. And since we started introducing Just Food for Dogs to him, that uh, the fish and chicken recipe, I believe, of the cat food. It's been close to a month now, and he has just been, like I said, he's been eating like a champion. And is that something that you were even seeing very early on, Doctor? Yeah, so we've done uh, what they call AFCO feeding trials. AFCO is the Association of American Feed Control Officials, and they devise guidelines by which the pet food industry is asked to voluntarily abide by. Um, and uh, so it's not really regulation, it's more guidelines. And one of the things that they dictate is how to run a feeding trial. And so that's how I got connected with um, Sean and Just Food for Dogs. He was looking for a somewhere to do the feeding trials. 
And if you look into it normally, the way they're normally done is using uh, lab dogs, um, and the lab dog is usually the beagle. And they are in USDA registered facilities because that's how the whole lab industry is um, regulated. And they live their whole lives for animal testing and they're fattened up and thinned out. And you've probably seen the YouTube videos of dogs coming from that industry being retired and touching grass for the first time. And, and you know, and that's where that, all that comes from. Um, and so Sean, being a huge rescue guy, he didn't want to have anything to do with that industry, but he knew that vets look for feeding trials and that that was the way to legitimize what we were doing. So long story short, he was interviewing institutions, uh, universities to see if they can be done in a more humane way using students own or faculty owned dogs as a research project, et cetera. Uh, we were able to put together uh, a protocol that met and exceeded AFCO standards. It's, it's kind of funny because uh, what happened was, you know, I submitted the protocol for uh, the AFCO test and uh, we have a team of scientists on campus that will look at any proposed animal testing on campus and give it a yay or an A. And when they looked at the AFCO test, um, they actually thought it was too rudimentary. So they upped the ante. They made it um, a more stringent test. Uh, and we did more blood work. We went 12 months. Uh, we used more dogs than, than is required. So I actually had to come back to Sean and I said, look, they're willing to do your, uh, your AFCO test, but you got to know that they're not going to do it the way AFCO recommends. That's too basic. They're really going to try to find something wrong and they're going to go longer and they're going to go potentially more expensive and they're going to go, you know, it's going to just be more of a process. And one of the things that made me convinced that I eventually wanted to work with Sean is that he didn't flinch. He said, yep, that's exactly what we would want. We would want it to be done right. And it doesn't surprise me that the industry makes it so easy. So that made me realize that he really wanted to find out what was going on with these uh, diets, and he was really interested in making it uh, right. And to your point, they, the dogs that were on this food performed exceedingly well, including, he wasn't part of the feeding trial because he was sick, but including my dog, uh, that his name was Ray at the time, and uh, he had kidney disease. And so one of the things that we were doing in parallel to the feeding trials is designing the veterinary support diets, the line of prescription diets. And he was sort of, you know, he was eating the prototype of that. And his renal disease, his kidney disease actually <sighs> stabilized. Uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say resolved because you shouldn't see that. Uh, kidney disease is supposed to be progressive. And that means that it just gets worse and worse until finally it could potentially be fatal. And in his case, it, it stopped being an issue for him. And, uh, eventually, you know, he, uh, he did pass at se at the age of 17, but he did so in his sleep and I didn't have to euthanize him and, and, and it was in his kidneys. So that in parallel with the success of the feeding trials convinced me that this was going to be a major transformation in veterinary nutrition and a veterinary brand and that they were going to need at least one full-time vet. Little did we know that within a few years we would have a whole team of vets um, and that's where I made the difficult decision to leave Cal Poly Pomona. I was only one year away from tenure. So a lot of, uh, a lot of folks thought I was crazy to do this and to go join a startup that may or may not make it, uh, you know, and, and, you know, is, is the new guy in town and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it was just a gut feel, you know, part of it was too, that I subscribed to some of Sean's beliefs, which is that, Hey, we've been doing it a certain way 
for decades by, by we, I mean, veterinarians and, and the vet industry um, have been feeding, you know, little brown pellets and saying that that's the most nutritious option. And here we have an option to really use actual food, the real, the same food that you eat in, in your own kitchens. And how can I not believe that that's going to have a, a significant impact on health? So, you know, to sort of top it off, I just believed what he believed and, and that made it, that made it an easy decision, uh, even though it was a big decision, an easy decision to, to join. Yeah, right. This, this may be a question that you can pass on, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyways, and we'll see what comes out of it. But because of how massively different your approach to this industry is, that has its proverbial giants in it, did you run into any kind of issues with those competitors as the new kids on the block or anything like that because of your different approach? Do you mean, uh, did they give us a hard time for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The answer to that is absolutely, but we don't talk about it simply because it would, it, it's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, it's just hard to even believe. So we don't, some of the things that have been said and done and, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, I was just curious since it is a large established industry that really everyone should have the same goals and interests at the forefront, you would think? Uh, yeah. Well, with all due respect, that's your first mistake. I assume when you say striving for the same goal, you believe that the objective is to make dogs and cats live healthier, longer lives. Right. And I've come to be pretty pessimistic about the way many other companies view that on their list uh, of objectives. I, for one, don't believe it's anywhere near the top. Mm-hmm. This might be a little bit extreme for some, but the way I equate it, because it's just the best parallel I can think of, is the tobacco industry, right? Uh, the tobacco industries in the 50s and 60s, where they were doing everything they could to convince people that smoking was perfectly fine. They had doctors in white coats on TV in black and white smoking and in the front of print ads smoking, right? Again, it's a little extreme, but but I can't think of a better analogy. That is what I feel like we're at today when, and I was one of them, you know, not too long ago. I was a doctor in a white coat pointing to the bags and cans, um, recommending that. And now that looks like, to me, like the 50s and 60s where, where you saw that. And, um, and the reason why I'm, I feel comfortable making that analogy is because we now have, and we, and we published a white paper, we now have undeniable years and years of research uh, that's peer-reviewed and published of folks that have looked into the toxins and contaminants and unhealthy adulterants that get into pet food and time after time, they have found them. And so it really is not healthy for you. You know, all, like when they list all the chemicals that are in a cigarette, you could do the same thing for, for a little brown pellet. Uh, but yet all that's been buried. And until we published it in our white paper, it wasn't even on the radar of veterinarians. And we'd like to hope that, that we're part of this awareness in, in trying to get the word out. But yeah, that's that's probably the best analogy I can give, and that's and that's where we are right now. And and the marketing and the you know when you look at a bag of kibble and you see a grilled chicken breast, right? Picture of a grilled chicken breast with the little burn marks on there, or a rack of lamb, or a big salmon fillet, right? 
there is no grilled chicken in that little brown pellet. There is no rack of lamb. A rack of lamb was never even in the facility where they made that. All of that good stuff, the, the, the good cuts, they go to the grocery store and they end up on our plates. Everything else, whatever's left of the carcass gets basically you know, blended into a either dust, and that's called rendered. Uh, so it gets cooked at a high temperature that literally make, pulverizes it. Or they keep it as a blended whole thing, and that's called byproduct. That's what most kibbles are made of, right? And so there's not any resemblance of the marketing inside of that bag. It's technically not legal to do that. But again, there's no regulation in pet food. Which then kind of becomes that all too obvious and glaring difference between just food for dogs food and the other companies is that you're using human food for pets and not falling within that same umbrella of unregulated food and or products. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when you have something called the Association of American Feed Control Officials, and they're supposed to oversee pet food, I think uh, it's really easy to get the illusion that pet food is regulated, right, by this organization. Well, first of all, it's not a government entity. It is just a nonprofit organization that have been coming together since the early 1900s, and the industry represents it. And they come together, and they have meetings twice a year, and that's where they make decisions with respect to the pet food industry. They write their decisions down in something called the OP, the official publication, and that's the book that Sean was referring to. And then that becomes a reference guide for companies that want to uh, get into the pet food business. They, they refer to that. On the top of the page of every single page of that book, it says, model rules and regulations. It's literally telling you, if you were going to regulate pet food, this is how we recommend you regulate it. Okay? It's not law. It has, AFCO has no police. There's no, there's no enforcement agency. Right? It's just a guidebook. And, and yes, the companies will abide by it voluntarily because they risk getting sued by a competitor if the competitor finds out that they didn't abide by something that's in there. Uh, the best example of that, uh, recent examples were uh, Purina sued Blue Buffalo, right? And that, that happened now five years ago or so, and it got settled. And that's an example of how this is an unregulated, uh, self-regulated industry because if you have a company doing something wrong, you better hope that a competitor cares enough to sue them and call them out on it because no one else is doing it. The USDA is not going to send them a letter or, or a warning. Uh, the FDA is not going to do it. They're, they got their hands full with human food issues. So really, it, there's no better example that there's just absolutely no regulation. It's all a voluntary program than the fact that that's what happens when you want to call out a company. They, they sue each other. And that brings up a great add-on to this conversation. Can you tell us more about the regulations or the lack thereof that exist on pet food? Right. So because there is no real regulation in pet food, we're not going to put together a team of folks up in Sacramento that regulate pet food and, and do all that. Well, that, that. That's impossible for us to do. It's impossible for anybody to do. Instead, what we're going to do is use ingredients that are highly regulated. Right, So that we know that everything that gets delivered to our facilities has gone through stringent rules and regulation for storage, transport, and handling, temperature controls, 
distance controls. None of that exists when you're transporting feed grade ingredients, but it all exists when you're transporting human edible, human grade, what you and I see in the grocery store ingredients. So we literally get the same supplies as the uh, restaurants up and down our, you know, our street at each of our locations. We literally get the same truck come to us and just drop off many more pounds of, of food because we probably make more food than the, than the restaurants do. And so that's, that's what we rely on. We say, hey, since there's no regulation in the pet food industry, we're going to rely on solely using materials, the raw material in our food that has been tightly regulated. Another way to look at kibble, which is by far and away the most common methodology of feeding you know, dogs and cats, is this. You can't put meat in a bag at room temperature for a year. You just can't. You shouldn't do it for more than an hour. You can't really do it for a day. And they do it for a year. So what do you have to do to that kibble, that meat, to put it into a bag for a year at room temperature? And the answer is major chemical preservatives, the most common of which is called ethoxyquin, which is a known carcinogen. It's not allowed to be in any human food. But to Dr. Chavez's point, there's really no regulation in our industry. So, you know, you can get away with it. There's no rule that says you can't use a thoxiquin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One other uh, recent example has been that they found the euthanizing agent, pentobarbital, right? Inside of pet food, cans of pet food. And, um, and so the, uh, it was all over the news. Yeah. It's, it's been all over the news recently. And and technically, that shouldn't happen. So where's that coming from? It's coming from the fact that some, on farms, yes, there are, there are animals that go to slaughter. That's what's supposed to happen. And then there are what we call downer cows or sick sheep, or, or they, they're, not, they're not capable of walking themselves to slaughter, right? So, so that's technically illegal to, in, to introduce into the food chain, any food chain. But there's these things called compliance policies that the FDA has installed, which are nothing more than loopholes. That allows that literally say I'm paraphrasing, but in legal terms, they say you're not supposed to do this. But if you do do it, and you're a pet food company, we'll look the other way. And that is how they a, a reporter randomly testing food found pentobarbital, the euthanizing agent, from these uh, cows and sheep and and livestock that that were too sick to go to slaughter, so they just euthanized them. They ended up going into pet food. And again, these compliance policies uh, look the other way. They, so there's no, there's nothing there to really stop them from doing it. Wow. I know some of these stories have been fairly public, but I'm not sure how much of this that our clients and our audience on this podcast have really heard about. No, but it got a lot of press. This was about six weeks ago. Yeah. It, Oscar, about but six weeks ago, this, this last round. This was probably the most paid attention to sort of news breaking thing in the pet food industry recently. But to your point, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's a, like veterinarians don't know this, you know, I include myself. I was a vet that was prescribing the bags and the cans. And, and, and when I found out what I know now, you know, I just can't bring myself to do it in many instances anymore. And I think a lot of vets, if they would learn the truth, would also feel the same way. But here's the reason I was at at a veterinary conference called Western Veterinary Conference, right, in Las Vegas. We had a little booth there. We just started kind of getting our word out and, and doing these trade shows. We're kind of new at it. 
I walk away a little bit and I go over to the other side where there's these massive installations from the big guys, right? The, the big names. And there is Jack Hanna, the, mm-hmm. the celebrity with a lizard or something on his neck, taking pictures with a line of veterinarians that circled, right? And I'm looking at myself going, I'm, I'm looking at this and thinking to myself, what does Jack Hanna have to do with nutrition? Why is he in a nutrition booth? Because these were the big nutrition companies, right? And, and what I realized is that's how they perpetuate it. They, they've stopped talking about nutrition because they can't really do that very well anymore. Instead, now they market to them and they, and they give them freebies and they give them these experiences and, and they sort of, and it's, it's almost like how I imagine the pharmaceutical industry is in human medicine, right? And I think that plays a huge role. And, um, you know, there's more and more vets, including uh, Alicia Pet Care and all that. There's more and more vets that are kind of saying no to that. And like, that doesn't make sense to me. And looking and, and self-teaching themselves about uh, the alternatives. And that's where we come in. And then they're calling us. And, you know, right after this, I have to go do a lunch and learn nearby. And so they're, we're constantly doing those. But still, the mainstream is very happy to to partake in these in these types of um, marketing things because they don't they don't realize what's happening. Yeah, it sounds like the big business, the heavy hitters maybe profit and prosper a lot from a kind of smoke and mirrors or distractionary approach to it all. Yeah, I mean our our business in part relies upon consumers and the the veterinary public to look ahead, to look beyond what is being marketed to them, you know, to be the, the, the mavens, to be the forward thinkers. They're the ones that, you know, come to us first. I absolutely believe that is exactly what made this partnership with Alicia Pet Care Center and Just Food for Dogs work so well and become such an obvious decision at the beginning. We, we both have that same goal and belief system in place of what is best for the patient or the pet. Yeah, I mean, the reason that we're partnered with Alicia is the same reason we partner with any of the vets that we have a pantry at. And that is Dr. Wheaton came to believe what we believe. And and that's what we're always looking to do is partner ourselves, whether they're employees for our company, whether they're new customers, new pet parents, uh, whether they're vets. It's building a group of people, a community of people that believe what we believe. And that is that pets should be healthier. They should have the exact same nutrition that we have and that they shouldn't be fed these highly processed feed grade foods. And that has been sort of our claim to fame is that there are a lot of pet parents out there that just happen to believe what in, in, in what Sean has created here. And so when we find a vet that also believes what we believe, then it's a no brainer to partner with them. Yeah. And I think that is so clear in your company's transparency and the way that you do all of these cool things to bring the pet owners behind the counter, so to speak, or behind the scenes. You have all of these yappy hours that you do at different facilities. And like you mentioned earlier, you're about to head off to one of your lunch and learns. It's kind of like you guys are pulling back the curtain of the great wizard of Oz, but you're not actually because just food for dogs kind of operates with that curtain always open. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a good point, Tim. It's, we are still, as we sit here today, which is amazing because we started in 2010, as we sit here today, we are the only company in the pet food business, period, 
that has open kitchens where people can come or vets can come and see their pets food being made. You know, the industry of pet food has not kept up with the social change of having pets as a family member. Mm -hmm. And vets have, as far as I see, and medicine has, veterinary medicine, you have board certified oncology, dermatology, you have, you know, people want more for their, their dog or their cat, their four-legged family members now. And lots of components of that, like I say, that medicine being one of them has kept up, but one that has not is nutrition food. It's still kibbles. It's still, it's still, you know, little hard brown pellets that we've been doing for 70 years. I mean, that's crazy. We've learned a lot in 70 years and much, you know, like Dr. Chavez said, much like the big tobacco industry, they do not want to see progress at all cost, keep the progress, you know, at bay. But as is always the case, or as is many times the case, the public is finding its own way, that medicine is finding its own way, and Just Food for Dogs is, you know, able to not just survive but thrive, you know, by having a, an objective that's different than what their objective is. Which is possibly just everything coming together at a perfect time right now. The general public is more able to be fully informed than they ever have been. Obviously, not everything we see or read is true, but people are able to fairly easily do some research on their own now. And it makes me think back to what Dr. Chavez was saying about the uh, conference in Las Vegas, the WVC conference, with just food for dogs being this little booth there, kind of like a David in arm's reach of maybe multiple Goliaths. And as it should be, many people maybe are more apt to see that this giant's circus show around and look for the reality that is there. And there is just food for dogs, like this little beacon of light and so visibly different from what other companies are doing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's it's not easy for the public to sift through the stuff, you know, the junk that's out there. And many times people will approach us, vets and the public, which they should, if this is the way they feel, with, you know, hard questions. You know, is this real? Or are we just, is this a marketing thing for us? And um Fortunately for us and for their pets, many have come to the conclusion that uh, our true objective is to help dogs and cats live longer, healthier lives. So is Just Food for Dogs the only company that is doing this right now? The answer is we were the inventors of the category of fresh whole food uh, that is nutritionally balanced for dogs and cats. But in the last 14, 16 months, we've picked up a number of other competitors and they, their food actually, in many cases, looks very much like ours, uh, but there's not a lot behind it. So, for example, none of them have done feeding trials. None of them genuinely have a veterinarian on staff. Well, at least one has a picture of a veterinarian on their, on their website uh, and, ha- and involved that veterinarian purportedly in the diets. But 
uh, best we can tell that vet. Uh, well, in that case, that company's in 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 California, and the vet's in Florida. So that tells you everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah. So they're just you know look they're taking a different approach. It's a it's a marketing play. It's a money play for sure. They're not concerned with you know as best we can tell working with veterinarians either inside or outside their companies. They sell direct to the public, uh, which is fine, but they don't have kitchens where you can actually go and see your food being made. They, we believe, rent kitchens as they need them and make food in those kitchens and then send it out to the public from there. So there's a big difference, you know, uh, and cost-wise, some of them are about the same as ours. Some of them are more. We're not quite sure what causes their cost of their product to be more than ours, given that they're not putting anything into any real effort into uh, having a solid foundation for the ingredients and the food and the testing and, uh, and the research and so on. Yeah. And the other point I would make is that all of these competitors, and at first it would sound like that's bad, right? Competitors are, are bad, but actually we we welcome it in the sense that our mission is to make dogs healthier and that, and that's and that's one less dog on on kibble right but a lot of these are online based which means that you can't develop a relationship with them they have a, an online portal and they're a subscription model um, and and that kind of stuff right whereas in our situation a lot of our consultants which are trained by me and other veterinarians develop really tight relationships with the pet parents and they can help address some more nutritional issues that might come up. So it's more of a community that we create with our customers rather than just kind of like a sort of thing that's on, on the website. Okay. I'm, I know we're getting close on time. So what does just food for dogs have out there on your visible horizon? I know I get asked a lot about more options for cats, but what else do you guys have going on? Well, cats are tough, <laughs> but that's um, yeah, that's really Dr. Chavez territory more than more than mine. But we want to we want to develop at least a couple more recipes for cats. The truth of the matter is, we originally had three. We just don't roll out with product unless it's a home run. And the other two were super healthy and nutritious, but not enough cats liked them, you know? So uh, we are working on the cat issue. We'll call it the cat issue. The other one is, you know, our new pantry fresh product, which is a shelf stable version of our beef and potato and our chicken and rice for people that travel or are going on vacation. Uh, our premium product is still our frozen packaged food you know, but the pantry fresh is a really unique way to go. It's in a Tetra pack, you know, package and it's shelf stable until it's open. So it's, it's a unique process where we put the ingredients into the package raw and we cook the, everything in the package. Mm -hmm. So you, it, that's what allows it to be shelf stable until it opens. When you open it, you have to put it in the fridge. And, and just to cover the cat, thing a little bit, cat issue a little <laughs> bit. Um, there's a, a little bit of a misconception that we don't work with sick cats or that we don't have other offerings for cats. And and we do. We just work more. It's a more customized process when we do that. And we work with the veterinarian and the individual pet parent. 
and it's in a pre- very premium service that we have called our custom formulation service. So we do address sick cats company-wide, and we have for many, many years. We just don't have a ready-to-go-off-the-shelf line for them. We just have that one recipe. All right. Well, I and we want to thank you both for coming in and giving our clients and our podcast's audience more of an opportunity to learn about what Just Food for Dogs is doing within the pet food industry. So thank you guys. Well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having us. All right. So that wraps up our full conversation with Dr. Oscar Chavez and Sean Buckley. Sean being the founder of Just Food for Dogs and Dr. Chavez is the chief medical officer. So if you're hearing this and want to learn more about Just Food for Dogs, you can visit them on the web at justfoodfordogs.com. And they also have a social media presence there on Twitter and on Instagram as well as Facebook. So you can check them out there. We want to thank you all for listening and hope you got a lot out of this uh, information and this deep dive into this company that really is doing so many things so vastly different from others in the pet food industry and it, it wasn't a small thing for us to bring them into our animal hospital. It is something that is very near and dear and important to us in our common goal of doing the absolute best for your pets and their health and their longevity in life. If you want to look up more on the podcast, you can look at us up at pettalkpodcast.com. You can send an email to wecare@mypetsdoctor.com. We are always accepting questions for our doctors and topics for them to cover and answer for all of you who maybe just don't have the time to always sit down and talk about some of these larger scale discussions with our doctors here in the hospital, or even those of you who aren't local and have some pressing issues or questions about your dog or cat in your household. So again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pet Talk Podcast. Keep your eyes out for the next episode. We will be promoing that on our Facebook page. You can find the Animal Hospital on Facebook as Alicia Pet Care Center. You can find all of our social media as username APCCVet. And you can find the podcast on Twitter as well at Pet Talk Podcast. Podcast.